When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everybody and welcome to another episode of audio judo i'm kyle and i'm matthew welcome to your podcast of music discovery we are proud members of the pantheon podcast network your source for music podcasts i apologize in advance i am in the, on the backside of the coronavirus so i have a bit of a chest cold now so it's affecting uh, the timber of my voice i think it makes it sound pretty good a little smoky <laughs> right a little sexual. smoky um mm. We are delighted to be starting our fourth season of Audio Judo tonight with this episode. After 87 episodes of our show, 15 of Audio Judo Does Jazz, and 7 of Throughline, but we are just so pleased that we are still doing this. Uh, when we first started doing this program, it felt like an interesting thing to do, you know, talk about music. It's one yeah. of my first loves. And as we have gotten further into it, uh, we have talked to some amazing people, listened listen to some wonderful music, and for me, more than anything, learned a lot about myself as I explored the reasons why music has been so important to my life. So I will continue to do this as long as I can. And I'm so glad you guys decided to tune in. But I also need to remind you that not only do we have this program, Audio Judo Does Jazz and Throughline, but we also have additional content that you can only get through our Patreon. Kyle, how would they go about doing yeah. that? So we actually have a new tier in our Patreon. We've called it the Shout It Out Loud tier because we promoted it on our KISS episode. That name might change, but uh, that one for only a dollar or a euro or a pound or a ruble, whatever your local currency is, every month you can help us out by helping support the podcast. And in return, we'll give you a shout out at the end of every episode of Audio Judo uh, for as long as you're a patron. You don't really get any bonus content for that level, but you know what? It does help us out a little bit. If you do want the bonus content, you can jump up to the front row seat tier. For five bucks a month, uh, you can really help us out by making the podcast sound a little bit better uh, and we get a little bit of beer out of it as well. For that $5, though, you get a shout out by name at the end of every episode, uh, two-day early access to full episodes, access to the bony min- bonus Bony. Bony. <laughs> well, there some of them are a little bony, but some of them are also also bonus episodes bony. Uh, called Judo Chops. They're little mini episodes. Uh, and occasionally you'll get some little bonus bits that we throw up on there uh, that we had to cut out of episodes or where we go off on weird rants like, yeah. and things. Like throw up on that? Yeah, exactly. Okay. If you really want to help us out and get even more in return, you can send it for the Backstage Pass tier. It's $20 a month. For that, you'll get to uh, shout out by name, two-day early access to the full episodes, Judo Chops, bonus bits of farts and burps, and any other bonus content we cut out. Plus a very special personalized gift after three months at that tier. Which we just signed two of them We just signed another one. Scott uh, K. Scott K. Your bonus gift is on its way soon, as soon as one of us mails it. That's true. And the big one, uh, after a year at this tier, you get a chance to co-host an episode of Audio Judo with us. It can be about the album of your choice. We don't care. Uh, It's whatever you want to talk about. Uh, That does only activate once. Uh, but it, uh, I don't know if I said it. That tier is $20 a month. You did. I'm totally out of brains today, but that's okay. So, Matthew. Yeah. Are we continuing the tradition? Yes. Season four. Season four begins with this episode. Right? It's not hard to figure out what we're going to talk about tonight. Our very first episode, we talked about an album that was near and dear to my heart and felt like a nice medium starting off point, the 1991 album Fear by Toad the Wet Sprocket. Things went so well that first season that I thought we should celebrate it by doing it again. So I sent an email to the lead singer of Toad the Wet Sprocket, Glenn Phillips, and through his management, he got back to me. Uh, we did a phone interview talking about his plans and at that time, how he was coping with the pandemic as mm-hmm. that was raging. It was a wonderful interview, and he and I have corresponded several times since then, and while I wouldn't call it a friendship, it's definitely a friendly relationship. Uh, not wanting to buck the trend of success or ruin a lucky rabbit's foot, we started season three talking about their 1997 album Coil. The band listened to it and retweeted that episode, and that kind of exposure is absolutely invaluable to us. Yeah, it is. So now to start season four, we don't want to mess with a good thing. 
So today we're talking about Toad the Wet Sprocket's 2013 comeback album, New Constellation. Yeah. So my big question for you is, where do you want to start this episode? Do you want to start right after Coil came out? Uh, or do you do you want to not go back that far? Where, 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 where do you want to start? I'm going to give a little bit of background because we've talked about them so many times. Yeah. So, so well, okay, and that, that's why I'm asking because yeah, we've gone over their history so much at this point. It's I'm you just going to give a couple of little little bits. Cool. To get us caught up. So uh, there's a lot to talk about on this one, uh, namely the way it was funded. Yeah. This album was released after a 16 year hiatus in which the band worked on solo projects and the occasional tour date. And I wouldn't call any of their solo projects successful. That is to, isn't to say they're bad. Some of the songs and records are quite good, but they never got traction like any of the Toad records got. Yeah. What's funny to me too about that whole time period is yeah. they were broken up, but they did a whole bunch of, you know, mini tours and, and one-off oh, yeah. gigs and fundraisers and all kinds of stuff where they played together as a band. So, Tons. Tons. Uh, I don't know if you'd say broken up. I don't think that's the right word for it. So let's do a quick recap for, for Toad's career for those who may be new to the program. Sure. Toad the Wet Sprocket was found in the mid-80s in Santa Barbara by a bunch of high schoolers. Glenn Phillips, guitarist and vocalist, Dean Dinning, bass and vocals, Todd Nichols, guitars and vocals, and Randy Gus on drums. They were buds, formed a band that practiced in their garage, as we all did. They self-financed and released their first record, Bread and Circus, in 1989 through their own label, Abe's Records. They released two singles from that record, Way Away and One Little Girl, which made the Billboard Modern Rock uh, track chart, uh, but really received no interest from the general record-buying public. In the midst of recording the follow-up to that record, 1990's Pale, they signed a record deal with Columbia Records. At the time, Glenn Phillips was not yet 20 years old. Mm -hmm. Showing their savviness at a young age, instead of re-recording Pale, as part of their contract, they had Columbia release Bread and Circus, which got them more sales because it was on a major label. Makes the new, sense. <laughs> the new album still wasn't a sales success, but it saw significant airplay on college radio for the song Come Back Down. So this was the first time that I had heard of them. I saw their video for Come Back Down on MTV's 120 Minutes, uh, and I was like, I must have that record. <laughs> uh, and I listened to it religiously, much to the chagrin of a lot of people who I knew at the time, because they felt it was just really, really depressing. <laughs> and to some degree it is, but it's still wonderful. I've been a fan ever since. In 1991, their luck began to change in a big way. They released the album Fear, and their star took off. Lifted by the success of the singles All I Want and Walk on the Ocean, the former reaching the top 20 of the Billboard Top 100, that album would be their first platinum record. 1994, they released a follow-up called Dulcinea. It also went platinum. And the single Fall Down would reach number one on the Billboard rock, Modern Rock Charts, and things were well. They released a B-Sides compilation record in 95 called In Light Syrup, which gave them a much-deserved break from the road. And they reconvened in 96 to record Coil, but the musical landscape was changing, and they were being left behind. After the tour in 98, the band decided to break up, citing creative differences. I was sad, and it seemed as though that would be the end for the band. Their music was so much different than anything else coming out at that time. So if the... <coughs> Excuse me. If they had decided to come back, it was going to be extremely short-lived. Uh, I imagine careers for them, like writing songs for TV or stuff like that, yeah. or maybe teaching or managing new artists. But I thought the band itself was dead. But like you said, they never really did stop. They played a few shows together in 99, even recorded a couple of tracks for a compilation that same year, albeit without guitarist Todd Nichols, who yeah, there was a declined. P.S. A Toad Retrospective. Exactly. Which is a fun name. They reunited, uh, reunited again uh, again in 2002 for a benefit concert for a rape crisis center in Santa Barbara and opened a, show, a few shows for Counting Crows. They then put some full-length shows together in 2003, but ultimately decided to not get back together as a band. Between 2004 and 2010, however, they would reunite several times, play a, a number of larger summer tours, won a 34-date tour, in, which is pretty significant. In 2006, that's a lot of dates, bro. right? For a band that doesn't exist. <laughs> uh, I saw them once during that tour at a bar here in Vegas at Red Rock Casino. Um, the venue only held about 500 people. And the air was just like electric, though, because everybody, these were people that, yeah, I mean, you weren't going to it by accident. They were fans. Yeah, you, you were intentional about wasn't going like to you this were, concert. wasn't like you were staying at Red Rock. Yeah, let's go check out the band. It was like, no, no, we made a trip. We, yeah. We Who's in the bar tonight? There. Told the what? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, skip that. Um, <laughs> everyone knew every word. You could tell that it had, it had an effect on the band. Uh, in 2009, bass player Dean Dinning announced <coughs> excuse me, that every member of the group felt like the band was an active project again, and while they had no plans for a new album, they did not consider themselves broken up any longer. However, they did do something in 2010 that is a pretty big deal in my opinion. Uh, they went back into a studio in May 2010 to re-record some of their old tracks. 
Correct. This is a very smart move because for years and years and years, the big music companies, in this case, Columbia Records, have owned the rights to a lot of people's music and owned the master tapes. And it becomes a problem because now the artist has no control over their previous recordings. Yeah. So potentially, potentially, if they own the rights to the music, Columbia could even say, you can't perform that anymore. Correct. And if <laughs> they want to license it, up. they want to license it to a movie or something. Exactly. Toad doesn't have any say. Yeah. So Toad the Wet Sprocket went into the studio and re-recorded songs that they had made years and years and years ago after gaining the rights back from Columbia Records. And then those new versions, the whole plan was they would, in fact, sell them to TV and, and right. films and wherever anybody you know wanted to use them so that they actually make the money off of it, which- you know, as somebody who wants to support artists, I think that's awesome. Yeah. And uh, that was called uh, All You Want. Yes. That record. And they also recorded their first new track since 97, uh, the holiday song, It Doesn't Feel Like Christmas. They also started playing a couple of new songs in their live shows that they said were for, quote, a new album. In March of 2013, they announced on Facebook that the new album was done and it was being mixed. Uh, they then formally announced the new single, uh, New Constellation, in June. And here's where the story gets fun. After <laughs> years apart and really only some live shows in the bag and the fact that they were self-releasing through their own label, the coffers were kind of bare. They really didn't have the financing to promote the album completely, let alone the distribution and everything that goes along with the new release. That really is typically the realm of the label. So they did what any Gen Xer would do in times of need. They looked to the internet. Yeah. Utilizing the Kickstarter platform, they made a goal of raising $50,000 over the next two months. Uh, they were going to give away stickers, t-shirts, early release codes, all that kinds of, all, all that stuff that goes along with it. And I got in on day one, bought what I could, bought the hugest package that I could get. <laughs> so did everyone else. Yeah. They hit the $50,000 goal in 20 hours. Not even a full day. And when the campaign was done, they had raised well over $250,000. The demand was there. There was and is a devoted following for oh, the yeah. band. So the album we're going to talk about today, New Constellation, was released in October 2013. It received... Well, 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 go ahead. That's not entirely true, because all of the backers, presumably including you, got your digital copies in on June 29th. That is correct. 2013, which is an awesome way to do it. You get it almost, what, June 20, I guess, about four months early, yeah. basically. That's a cool way to do it. Because not, not only does it reward the backers for what they did, it generates a lot of hype. It generates right. a lot of, oh, hey, I got this pre-release album. You should go buy it when it comes out in October. I think Word that's a great mouth. idea. And while this album that we're talking about has 11 tracks on it, the pre-release actually came with 14. Had three additional tracks that weren't going to be on the main release. So it was released to the public in October 2013. Received positive re reviews from the critics and even better reviews uh, from fans. And while it wouldn't become a huge seller, because I think those days have passed for most bands and the yeah. ever-changing weird digital market, it would crack the top 100 on the Billboard album charts. Not bad for a jangle pop band who hadn't released an album in 16 <laughs> years and hadn't had a hit in almost 20. Yeah. I mean, number 97 on the U.S. <laughs> Billboard 200, number 23 on the U.S. Independent Albums chart, number 24 on the U.S. Alternative Albums chart, and number 35 on the U.S. Rock Albums chart. Those are pretty good numbers. Yeah. Those are pretty good numbers for, for an, like you said, an album that came from a band that hadn't had a release in 16 years. Yeah. So, I mean, the fans were still there. And I think it's a wonderful album, but I know I'm biased. Glenn's voice is a bit higher and stronger. The sound of the record is excellent. And while the sounds of the band are similar, there's absolutely more maturity in the songs than there had been. It's a super collection of songs. And for me, it was one of those things, you know, hadn't heard a thing from them since I was a 25-year-old young father. And now the album comes out and I'm 41. I have three kids with that little one that I had at the beginning, now about to graduate from high school. <laughs> when I put the album on and the headphones in, I was transported back to that time. It, music is a time machine. And I would be lying if I said there weren't some tears shed on that first listen. Uh, it was also the first album they had released since my mom had passed. And that definitely affected me because some of the lyrics were very poignant, hit me right in the chest, very yeah. effective. So yeah, I know it's season four and I know we always do Toad. And it's probably difficult to continue to mine new content from this like Milk and a Rock, but I think there are some important moments on this record, and it deserves a good look. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things I think we should mention real quick is they did bring in a few other uh, outside musicians to do a few things on this album. Michael Blue, who also produced Produce the it, album, yeah. uh, played keyboards and ukulele. Uh, Zach Ray did keyboards. Billy Hahn did some percussion work. Uh, Greg Leisel uh, did lap steel guitar and pedal steel guitar. And there were string arrangements by Andrew Williams. And they're all, they all fit in beautifully, in my opinion. But 
up. Should we talk a little bit about the cover? Yeah. So the cover is an outdoor scene in the woods. The tree line is uh, dark blue and orange, and there's a blue night sky above with a whole bunch of dots representing stars. There's a man standing precariously on a giant double helix structure that he appears to be making out of old parts. Uh, the Toad the Wet Sprocket logo is in the lower left corner. On the top right, it says New Constellation, with the first O in Constellation being one of those dots representing a star. Yeah, I don't know. I have uh, no idea how to describe the style being used. Yeah. It's, it reminds it's, me of like National Park artwork. Yeah, it's very eclectic, and it's very... Um, I think that it's interesting that... Uh, he's building this double helix out of a bunch of broken parts. Because to me, that represents the idea that, you know, the band has themselves aged. A lot of them have had kids. A Mm -hmm. lot of them have grown up. And the idea that, you know, their kids are built out of their broken DNA. Mm. (laughs) No offense to their kids. (laughs) You know, I don't mean it that way. But the idea that, you know, your offspring. I'm trying to say their kids are really messed up. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, Glenn. Uh, No, but really what I am trying to say is, you know, you realize as a parent, I'm not a parent. But I assume that you realize as a parent that, oh, all of the stuff from my life, all of the weight, all of the broken pieces and stuff came together to make this, to make another life. And I think that that really describes where they were at as a band at the time they were making this album Mm. because it had been so long and they had changed so much so in much. that amount of time yep. that, you know, they had basically gone from being kids to being, you know, full-grown parental adults. Right. That's I mean, the, it's the same journey that I had been on. Yeah. It's, it's the same exact gap and all that has to be filled in. Yeah. It's, uh, it, the style is just very, very unique. Yeah. Uh, the design is actually by Key Ahrens, uh, who's an American pop artist and graphic designer based out of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, he has started to dabble in NFTs, so I'm no. curious to see where he goes with that. Okay. But, uh, uh, <laughs> but the illustration is uh, by uh, Ben. I can never pronounce this last name. Sakati. Sakati is how I would say probably Sakati or Chikati. Um, But he's an illustrator. Uh, he did a whole bunch of celebrity portraits that were used in the Santa Barbara Independent. Yes, very surrealist stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, apparently now though he's working in construction oh. uh, and only does illustrations from time to time. Oh, so as of twenty. 17, I think is when I read, uh, he had come back to do some illustrations for the Santa Barbara Independent. And uh, they were like, what are you doing now? And he's like, well, I have a child, so I'm working in construction. Okay. So hopefully, um, you know, he's gotten some good support and he can maybe go back to art full time at some point in the future. But maybe he doesn't want to. Maybe he loves construction. I don't know. But the photographs included in the record, uh, they were taken by Rob Shanahan. Mm -hmm. He has taken tons of rocker photos, most notably associated with Ringo Starr, as Mm -hmm. he is the preferred photographer of the X. Beattle. Uh, most important to me, though, he did a photo shoot with Rush drummer Neil Peart. Oh. Uh, the best part of that is when Rob pulled up to do the shoot, he did so in a vintage 56 Chevy and parked it next to Peart's vintage 69 Jaguar. Ooh. Before submitting to the photo shoot, Peart insisted that they talk cars first. <laughs> and that's just classic Neil. That's like, awesome. Before you take my picture, we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about cars just so I get to know you before I let you snap <laughs> some some pics. So that's just, that's just good stuff. That's cool. Uh, Should we take a quick little break? We'll come back and do a track-by-track breakdown. Sounds good to me. So coming right back in with the title track, New Constellation. Yeah, Toad has this very interesting way of beginning albums, at least to me anyway. Uh, if you remember from our very first episode, all the way back, way, way in the way back, uh, Fear begins with a very stark and exposed vocal line as the opening to Walk on the Ocean. After the muddiness of the first record, uh, that was a clarion call to a different, cleaner sound. Uh, Coil started with an equally unadorned acoustic guitar line. Uh, quick and clean, it was a reminder that while known for more morose and sad sounding songs, they could still play an up-tempo number. And what better way to remind everyone than beginning the record that way? Yeah, this is definitely like a real upbeat, poppy song. And I don't think that's oh, yeah. a bad thing here. I don't mean it as an insult. I think it's a great opener to this album. It starts with a pop. Yeah. No sl- uh, slow builds or lines to introduce. It's like the needle hit the vinyl and bam, we're in the first song. Like a kind of a we're back situation. Yeah. Like boom. And do you hear what I'm saying about Glenn's voice being a little bit different after all yeah. these years? I think some of that can be attributed to the fact that he wasn't limited uh, by Toad, although 
those years. I think you you grow to expect the singer of a band that you love to sound a certain way all the time. Yeah. And I also think the singer is keenly aware of that. So they may not take as many chances as they may in a solo outing or with a different band. Uh, as I mentioned in the interim 16 years, Glenn released a number of solo records, five to be exact, all with completely different sounds. The only one that sounds like Toad as a band is called Winter Pays for the Summer. It's actually Winter Pays for Summer. And it wasn't really the sound he wanted. He was trying to distance himself from that sound. So during the tour, he asked to be let out of his contract and he released a very quiet Mr. Lemons album instead. Hmm. And he also recorded a record with the Mutual Admiration Society and a couple of other things that saw him really develop a different style. And I think all of those things really affected his sound in a good way. And this album sees him stronger than ever, but bringing those new learned lessons to the toad. Yeah. Which I don't think he, he would be willing to do earlier in their career. Yeah. What I do think find really interesting is he actually described the lyrics for this song as, quote, a celestial level love. I have that example. Uh, in which the singer writes the name of their loved one in a new constellation in the sky. Right. I think no, that's beautiful. Nothing more permanent than that, right? Right. He also said it's about awareness, devotion, and gratitude. Familiar themes for Toad. Uh, I think the awareness is directed pretty clearly in the lyrics and awareness of our insignificance in the universe. Feels so good to feel so small and being okay with that. We are here fleetingly, but live in the moment. And the song sounds like this. so good to feel so small. I mean, again, that insignificance, yeah. I think it's it's very uh, prevalent on this record. Did you look up any of the saints? Well, you might know, you have a Catholic background, so you might just be able to roll these saints right off oh, the top I looked of your them, head. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, uh, saint Dymphna is the patron saint of mental and neuro... Oh, Jesus, mental and neurological disorders, uh -huh. which I might have right now. Saint Cecilia, the patron saint of musicians. Uh -huh. Saint Margaret is the patron saint of the falsely accused, hobos, homeless, insane, orphaned, mentally ill, midwives, patients, single mothers, reformed prostitutes, stepchildren, and tramps. That's two already that are mentally ill. Right. Uh, St. Christina, or Christina the Astonishing, is the patron saint of millers, people with mental disorders, mental health workers, sailors, and archers. There's three, and there's also a great Nick Cave song about her as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, St. Drogo, the patron saint of shepherds and coffee. But if you look a little deeper in his history also, mm -hmm. mental illness. Mental illness. Four. Uh, St. Vitus, uh, or Vitus, depending on how you pronounce Vitus, it. Vitus, yes. Uh, is the patron saint of dancers, entertainers, and nervous disorders. So I got four for mental illness, mm -hmm. and two for... For entertainers. Mm -hmm. Sensing a little theme here. Uh, yeah. Hmm. And the two lines before the saints are, my sorrow's contagious. I've tested your patience. Mm -hmm. Clearly, this is autobiographical. Yeah. He's always been very open and honest about his mental struggles, and he talked to us about them very openly. Yeah. And I think this is an apology to his wife that at the time that he knows he's been shitty and he's trying to get better. There's just so much good stuff in there, but he's acknowledging like, like hey, name check all these saints. You know, I'm an entertainer, but I got some shit going on yeah. and it's rough. And uh, you notice uh, uh, there are a couple times on this record where the, I'm going to reference it later, but the lyrics are extraordinarily dark yes. and the song is not because this song is very bright, but you look deep into the lyrical content and it's like, oh, oh, yeah. okay. I, I feel I feel like that's kind of the over one of the overarching themes of this entire album is they're bright, upbeat, poppy sounds, and then they're like these horrible dark lyrics not horrible, but dark lyrics that are very not in line wouldn't normally be in line with the music they're hearing. Correct. I think it's a very interesting contrast, and obviously, it's a very intentional choice to do it that way. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but I think it comes from everything else we're going to talk about with this album. It just it blends well, right? Uh, California Wasted, California Wasted. I think this is the first retrospective song. 
on the album. Uh, the lyrics tell us everything that we need to know. The band got old, they've grown up, and now they're thinking about their past, which we've already talked about a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of a slide back into the style that I love so well. It's that laid back California style. Yeah. Tempo is a little slower, uh, very listenable, wonderful song. And it's not a positive song either. No. First song is a kind of a reminder to live in the moment and don't take for granted the time we have or forget how insignificant we really are. This song lives in the awareness of exactly that, that he is taking it for granted. And he's letting life slip by with no direction and no clear point at all. And there's no resolution to it. Um, The state of California, with all of its choices and beauty, is completely wasted on him because he's too wrapped up in his own thoughts to enjoy any of it. That section of lyrics, there's too much in my head right now, got no way to slow it down. No one is going to pull me out. I still make the same mistakes. California's wasted on me. It's completely different than the joy of that first song, and it's all about that journey he takes on each album. Here's a piece of it right here. part at the beginning. No compass, no map, no sail or mast. This boat is sinking. Perfect lyrical bit there. Yeah. Uh, he's totally lost. But the hook to the song is so good. I know we talked about talked about it a little bit in our Eagles episode. This is the kind of sound that reminds me of that of the Eagles okay, with them. Yeah. The similarities between them and the Eagles. The harmonies, that kind of laid back sound, bordering a little bit on country, but not quite there. I can see kind that. Kind of like it, straddling that line. There's, there's a lot of that straddling in this this entire album the sounds mm-hmm. they, they bring in the steel guitar in some in some tracks on this there's a lot of that sort of uh, borderline country feeling to a lot of these tracks I, sure. I like it a lot but yeah. it's, it's very close to like if you took one more step you would be a country song right I think it's the voice that keeps it from being that you throw yeah. a little twang into his voice it's probably a country song California's wasted on me there you go there, there it is. is now it's a country song now it's a country song um, it doesn't sound as bleak as the lyrics would indicate, though. But it's a song that I know uh, my wife loves to sing along while we're sitting by the fire. It's just a great sing along yeah, song. I, I definitely think that it's a there's a lot of meaning here that you know is stuff that we have already talked about. But the idea that you know California is wasted on me. Not only is California the the image that you picture when you think of California is young, beautiful people frolicking on the beach, right? Yes. Well, now what do you do when you're middle aged and you have a family and you're not young and beautiful anymore? You know, the flip side of that though is the band is looking at their president and they're saying, well, we're actually pretty good off right now. We're, we're doing well, but you know, we're making all the same mistakes we made in the past still, but we're finally maybe learning from them. Maybe. Yeah. I, I don't know. Well, I like that. That's a good, I like that interpretation. That's good. It's uh, yeah, I do enjoy that. It was in the moment, Matthew. Oh, whoa. <laughs> it's a very powerful song. Yes. And it goes into the older to- toad sound, but uh, that's totally all right with me. This was a song that hit me square in the chest when I heard it the first time. And the, the song has been around for quite a while before the record was released. They had been performing versions of it for years before putting this album out. Uh, but I heard I heard a lot of my mom's story in here. There are just some lyrical lines that affected me a great deal. Uh, right at the beginning, shame doesn't become you. How could it be so wrong that your heart was braver than your will was strong? I mean, it still gets me every time when I think about <laughs> how much she suffered and tried to fight ultimately losing that cancer battle in 2004. And later on in the song, he says, I miss my friend. And that part just wrecks me every time <laughs> because it's such a delicate little admission of that absence still affecting you all the time. Yeah. I just miss my, I just miss, I, Heather and I talk, we talk about this all the time. Like something will just remind me of my mom and I just, I want to be able to like, uh, I just want to be able to tell her. Yeah. And like my first great, not my first, my first bloodline granddaughter was born a week ago. Yeah. And and it's been so joyous and wonderful, but there's all there's a pang of that bittersweetness about how my mom would have loved to be involved in this yeah. on every level. And you just get those realizations and it sucks all the time. It's just it just never goes away. But anyway, the song uh, actually sounds like this. 
talking about. That's not what this song is about. While I can ascribe the meaning and value to the song that reflects how it makes me feel, I believe that the song is about the breakup of Glenn's marriage. Hmm. He was married very young when he was 19. He had three daughters with his wife. They were married until somewhere in the middle of this tour or the very end of the tour. But I believe it had been falling apart for a long time, in no small part due to his depression issues. But if you look at the lyrics for the song, shame doesn't become you. He's basically telling her that she has no reason to feel shame for the relationship dissolving. They're both responsible for it. And I think by the time he was writing this song, she was involved with someone else, or at least the lyrics suggest that. The shame she feels, her heart was braver than her will was. And he alludes to it when he says, I don't need to fit in, but is there room for you in your life with him? Basically, you don't need to make time for me because our relationship's ending, but will you be able to make time for you or will you be consumed by this new relationship? It's pretty heart-wrenching. And then he delivers the dagger, I miss my friend. And that's the price of being honest with each other. And I'm not sorry about it. You need to hear it. I still miss you. I know our time is over, but I still miss you. That's so raw and real. And the moment in all this is when it ends. It's such a great, great fucking song. Yeah. And it, it's so telling. Like that's that's a relationship dissolving right in front of you while he's still admitting, yeah, I still care about you. I still, I still care for how, you know, how this all impacts you. I think it's very interesting where they place this on the album too, because that's right in between California Wasted and the next song we're going to get to, Rare Bird, uh-huh. which is definitely about his wife. For sure. <laughs> but uh, this, I think one of the other themes of this song is sort of, don't worry about the past. You have to be living in the current, the present. And there's so many reminders of that on this record. Yeah. And I think that California Wasted was a song that's all about like, think about the past, what we used to be, but we're still doing okay. This is about living in the moment right now and what the future holds. And it's interesting to me that they kind of led those two into one another by putting them in this order on the mm-hmm. album. And then the next song saying, well, I know I just told you to live in the moment, live in the now, but right. think about all the things that we've done in the past and how they're affecting you now. Right. At pacing. Yeah. The rare bird, as you yeah. mentioned. Uh, was he, uh, Todd Nichols, oh. awesome guitar solo in the, mo- in the middle of the Oh, moment. definitely. Really, really good. I love and it. And very rare. He doesn't do a lot of those. Very rare. Uh, And Rare Bird next. Right? It's not my uh, favorite song on the record musically. It's a Fair little enough. uneven, but once again, he nails the lyrics. <laughs> That's funny because it is my favorite song. Really? Album. <laughs> That's so weird when we I, do that. I like it a lot. I don't know what it is. It has this weird ethereal sound to it yeah. that I really like. And I'll be, I don't know necessarily that this song fits with the entire album, but I think that it's, it's kind as of a song, I like it a lot. Uh, I like the music. I just like the other songs on the album better. Again, Fair we're going to go back and forth with that. Lyrically, I think this again is meant for his wife. Mm-hmm. And the first time I read the lyric sheet, it could just as easily have been meant for my wife. I talk too much. I always do. That's a line in the song. That's me. <laughs> Till sense is lost along with truth. Me. But you tolerate it. I mean, there is a reason why I have a podcast. It's to let my mouth run and get it out of my system. Because <laughs> if I wasn't doing this, I'd be jabber drawing some poor unsuspecting ear off on calm and someone would be getting really pissed off and complaining to management. Matthew never shuts up on calm. He's like, talking about classic rock all the time. I can't hear my really cues. Annoying. can't hear my cues. Really? You need your cues still? You've done this show like 2,500 fucking times. You still need cues? Come on. You don't need cues. You can do it. But this person in the song is just the most patient and tolerant person. And that person has this awesome mind that steers clear of all the noise and flies high up in the sky in their own atmosphere. It's a beautiful visual. And it sounds like this. couple things to point out here. <laughs> One of the lines in the song is, uh, through state of fugue and breach of trust, I see you new again, my love. So a state oh. of fugue, 
where a fugue state is a temporary state where the person has memory loss and ends up in an unexpected place. It's not clear if the narrator had the fugue state or the other person had the fugue state, but that fugue state caused the breach of trust, and it sounds like the narrator is willing to look past it because you had no choice. Yeah. You were in a fugue state. I read that as maybe there was an affair or something, or at least that's what the narrator wants to believe, uh, but they're still kind of glorifying this person. Later in the song, he uses the line, rarer than rhodium. Ooh. Uh, rhodium is a silver white metallic element that is highly reflective and resistant to corrosion. Ooh. It's considered the rarest and most valuable precious metal in the world, well above gold and silver. Ooh. And I think... You know, we say she's rarer than rhodium. Like this is the most precious of all of the precious things. I is, think is rhodium radioactive? I don't think so. Oh, okay. Resistant to corrosion mm. and highly reflective. Mm. Silver white metallic. But not radioactive. Good to know. Radioactive. <laughs> you start doing a firm record. Uh, oh boy. Oh boy. Could be the medicine. Oh could be the mucinex. Could, could be the mucinex and the beer mixing. But... <laughs> Am I not supposed to mix those together? I don't know. What about all the other stuff I've taken? Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> Okay. It's the mess. It could be shit. I'll, I'll bet on you, though, man. I'll bet on you, Kyle. You're going to bet on me. I want to bet on you. So post the 1998 breakup of the band, Glenn, as we have talked about, went on to have some some success as a solo artist, mm-hmm. limited success, not as much as I would have expected, considering how strong a melody writer he is. Uh, but the musical world had changed around him, and that kind of middle-of-the-road rock just wasn't selling. But the other guys in the band weren't finished yet either, and they formed a new band called Lapdog. Wow. Uh, they released two albums in the early 2000s with Dinning and Nichols, and one with Gus on drums. Uh, I bring that up because this song, I'll Bet On You, is actually a reworked version of the Lapdog song, See You Again. The lyrics are different, uh, but they retain the melody throughout. And I love this song. It was used as the opener for their shows for a long time. And as usual, it has that typical mixture of Philip's melancholy and optimism, which I find so endearing and listenable. The lyrics, you know, we've all been hurt. It's nothing new. Just bet on me because I'll bet on you. That sums up a lot of the album right there. Yeah, it does. And this is what the song says. Sounds like. If they did not use this song to do part of the fundraising thing, uh, they're nuts because it would have been. Pre- <laughs> You'll bet on us. We'll bet on you. It's, you should, good, it's right? a little bit of a mutual thing here. And this was the section right here that I was going to include a clip of "See You Again," mm-hmm. but I could not find a workable clip. <laughs> it was too bad. Yeah. But it's hard to deny that they aren't better together. If you listen to "See You Again," it's just a thinner version of Toad. There's a lot more richness uh, when they're Toad the Wet Sprocket. The bones of the song are there, but it just comes together more fully more fully realized uh, when they're together. It's something I've always said about this band. They're more than the sum of their parts. There's some sort of unique quality of chemistry that they wouldn't get otherwise if mm-hmm. they were apart. So that's all I'm going to want. Golden Age, Matthew. Such an intense, powerful track. Oh, yeah. Wonderful acoustic opening to this too, with that steel Ooh. guitar backing to it. Oh, so Definitely good. the moodiest of all the songs on the record. Uh, kind of harkens back to Fear and the song Pray Your Gods. Oh uh, yeah, with the texture that they get on this song. First of all, like you said, the acoustic guitar is so beautiful. Uh, we haven't talked about their producer for the album, uh, Michael Blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's an English producer who's done albums with Colby Calais, Jason Mraz, Five for Fighting, One Public. So he certainly has pedigree, uh, and it seems as though he brought a new pop sensibility to this record that may have been lacking in their earlier releases. It's got a sheen to it. Not over the top sheen, uh, but just clean enough. Not quite Charlie Sheen level. Right. Just, uh, it's more of a Martin Sheen. All right. Uh, and nowhere is the sound more evident than on this song. And it sounds like this right here. Saint Virginia saved your life And a kitchen knife And when the devil tests your will You kill who you have 
strong as you. An interesting love song about being married. Mm. I don't know how many of those there are out there. I mean, I'm sure there's a few, but not a lot. <laughs> it's, uh, it's so painfully autobiographical, though. Yeah. Clearly about his inability to cope with his failures after so many successes and the toll that it continued to take not only on him, but on his wife as well. It's apparent in the opening stanza, a decade in the wilderness, how'd we ever come to this? Took all we had to just survive, no time left for asking why. The de- that decade in the wilderness, more than likely speaking about the time in between the last Toad record and now, yeah. trying to make it as a solo recording artist and having no success and still trying to manage and raise a family, took its toll on him and took its toll on her. And he acknowledges her strength, knowing that he would never have the ability to carry on if the tables were turned. It's too much to ask of anyone. I could never be as strong as you. It's a beautiful song. It's just a tough one. The the lines, I traded in my sanity for a dream that soon abandoned me. (laughs) Those are raw emotions. And that's tough. I mean, you trade... It's, he just lays it bare. Yeah. He, uh, he said, in a, Glenn Phillips said in a Song Facts interview, quote, people think of marriage and relationships as this destination. It's definitely a process. Golden Age is about this tendency to look back and idealize this task that never actually happened or idealize a future that will never happen and lose the present. Oof. Right? Deep. <sighs> it's tough. It's such a beautiful record and it's so, <laughs> he just, uh, he lays it out there. Get what you want, Kyle? Oh, I would love to. Huh? Oh. Oh, it's oh the next yeah, song. yeah, that's the next song. Yeah. This feels a lot more like a 1997 or 98 Toad song yeah. than I think anything else on the album does. And I would be <laughs> curious to know, was this something that was just sitting on a shelf for a long time? I know, I couldn't find anything. Yeah, I, I couldn't either. <laughs> About but. that. Sometimes I have a hard time parsing the meanings of songs when they are held in a in a different rapper. Uh, this is one of those lighter sounding songs in the record, upbeat and jangly. And then when you try to decode the lyrics and the perception is that it's very dark, or at least yeah. that's my interpretation. Spare a little prayer for the brokenhearted. How did it feel just being discarded, but it felt so good to get what you wanted. Now, the way I hear that is the guy in this relationship was just pushed aside. And the other person in the relationship is able to get what they want, which I think is freedom from the relationship itself. And it all kind of resolves itself toward the end of the song where Glenn asks the question, if we quit when it gets hard, then what is love for? That's the line at the end of the song. If we quit when it gets hard, then what is love for? And it's funny because Heather and I talk about this all the time uh, because we've been together for over 30 years and just about every single couple we have known that got married after we did is now divorced almost without fail. Mm -hmm. And we don't have any secret information or anything. There's no magic to it. Uh, We have gone through some shit. But at the end of the day, you never quit on each other. You never give up on the things that we built. And I'm not saying that any of these other couples quit because I don't know all their situations, but I'm just saying it's hard and you have to keep fighting if this is what you value. And I think that if we quit when it gets hard, then what's love for in the first place? Because that's, it's supposed to, you know, get strengthened through trial, through fire. And um, the song sounds like this anyway. I got nothing else about this song. Do you have anything more about? Not really. I, I do like the "Hey, hey, you're finally free" line. Yeah, it's it's a de- the delivery in this song is, is very unique. It's mm. not something that I see around. I don't know. I don't know what the right words are for this. The cadence or the the, the way the lyrics are delivered is unique in this song. It's kind of thickened up a little bit. Yeah, like, there's almost like three tracks at the same time. It just sounds real. The the background vocals sound really thick. Yeah, and like present, like up front in the mix. Yes, that's uh, a good way to put it. Is there anybody out? There? I don't know. We should check. Right now, we want to go to the window. Oh, that's the next song. Oh. I'm sorry. Again, uh, <laughs> same joke over and over. It's funny. Uh, 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 this is kind of a familiar cry for like-minded someone that shares the same feelings that we do, but it's a, it's a poetic way to do it, you know? Right off the bat, it's clear that he's really battling these demons of loneliness. And what was not really apparent to me the first hundred times or so I've listened to this record, it's <laughs> becoming more apparent to me now. This album is very much about the dissolving of his marriage. Yeah. All these songs 
songs are about the gap between them, and regardless of how hard he feels like he might be trying, he keeps failing. The line, a swarm of senses, a shatterstorm, tangled threads to weave a world. We build defenses and call them home, each alive, alert, alone. There's a song later on the record called The Eye that again makes use of the metaphor of being in a storm like this, and it's very effective, and the song sounds like this right here. Swarm of senses, shattered storm, tangled threads to weave the world. We build defenses, call them home. Each life. One of the lines in that section is just so telling about the situation he's in, because I don't know how to reach across this breach so deep between us. That's painful, dude. Yeah. And that's, that again, is like, that's that's just how you lay bare those emotions. Um, so the drums on this song, as well as the whole album, done by longtime band member Randy Gus. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the last time that Randy played with them on a record. He played with them for this tour as well, and then retired from playing entirely. Uh, he has since been replaced by Josh Dobbin, uh, but it certainly wasn't because of Randy's playing. Uh, Randy suffers from osteogenesis imperfecta, which is more commonly known as brittle bone disease. Uh, imagine playing drums all those years and suffering from that it must have been remarkably painful yeah. but i believe he's still involved in the music industry <laughs> to some degree as an agent or a an r guy so oh, good our best goes out to uh randy gus yeah you got more i really got nothing else about this one this is kind of a a, a lull to me in this album yeah yeah there's a, a spot here where it's kind of like yeah this might be a little bit of a stretch okay but you know same themes same ideas right same there. sort of homogenous sound yep but uh not bad necessarily but not anything that anything noteworthy so life is beautiful yeah it is uh, this is another one of those rare chances to hear the other lead voice in the band mm-hmm. as the lead vocals are done by Todd Nichols on this song. Uh, back in the early parts of their career, namely the first two records, he uh, sings several songs, but over the years that has been typically reduced to one an album or sometimes none. One of the things about the band is that they don't release individual credits as far as songwriting is concerned. Yeah. So the songs are attributed to the whole band. So sometimes it's hard to tell who writes what. Uh, but I think that it's safe to say that Glenn had a hand in at least some of these lyrics to the song because there's that storm metaphor again. Uh, and then there's this, love will make you weak, make you hungry. It'll make you need someone who'll break your trust. Mm. And while, yeah, that's probably true, there's still a glimmer of optimism in all the bleakness because the narrator keeps saying, life is beautiful. I can never imagine turning it away. And I think this is the narrator reminding himself that regardless of how shitty life is at the moment, there's always a reason to keep getting up and fighting, ostensibly avoiding suicide. And I'm sure that thought crossed his mind when he was at his lowest, but life is beautiful and you still find a way. The song sounds like this. I do like the positive message here about, you know, hey, don't give up, Mm. keep going. And I do think that this is also a good time to mention uh, in the past, whenever the subject of suicide comes up, Mm -hmm. we try to mention the suicide prevention hotline. They've changed it. There's a new one. It's super simple now. 988. That's it. 24 hours a day, both English and Spanish. And I believe they support other languages as well, but they don't necessarily say so on their website. Uh, They do accept SMS text messages as well. So if you need it, please use it. 988. 988. That's all you got to 
do. Dial 988. I'm glad that you have that in there. Yeah. But obviously, you saw it that in the song. So. Yeah. Anytime, anytime I see that, I'm like, mm, we should probably mention that just in case. But I've always loved Todd's uh, guitar playing. This song is no different. Uh, it's not flashy. You know, he rarely plays solos. It's understated, but textured. And there's something very unique about his guitar playing. And he's a really interesting dude. I have seen very few interviews with him ever. Hmm. Uh, I have never read a single thing about his personal life, like whether he is married or has kids. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, he's very private. Uh, mm. What I know of him is that he is an excellent fly fisherman and builds guitars as a hobby. Wow. But then he shows up on tour backstage with all of us, you know, and he's the sweetest, most friendly guy who will just sit and talk your ear off about music all night long. I just, he's a very cool dude. It's just very interesting. And he's just super protective of whatever his life is. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, Next time you go to one of their concerts, you should start asking him all kinds of weird personal questions. I will. Yeah. So, Todd, how's your wife? How's your wife, too? Uh, Wait, I'm not what? married. You're not. No. Oh, okay. Write, writing. That, write that down. That, how your, would your kids uh, go back to school? I don't have any kids. Mm-hmm. No kids. God, copy. Uh, what was that car that you pulled up in earlier when I saw you get out? What is that you own? Was that good? What was the license plate? What was the license plate? <laughs> and if I were to email you a check or mail yeah. you a check, yeah, check. where would I, I send it? Mail that check yeah. to you? Where would I send that? Ooh. Oh, Santa Barbara. <laughs> I said, oh, the eye. The eye. Referring, of course, to the eye of a storm. It's just teeming. Yeah, and with it's, optimism. Yeah, and it's it's alluded to in in like you mentioned already in a couple of previous songs. Mm-hmm. This idea is alluded to, and then they finally elaborate on it here. Yes, it leads me to believe that this is one of the earlier songs recorded for this record because mm-hmm. they seem to be fighting for each other pretty good. Him and his wife, or whatever. It's such a great way <laughs> to describe someone in a relationship. Shit is flying around, terrible storm, and she's just super calm at the eye. Yeah, it's a beautiful metaphor. Song sounds like. This. Finally learning to fight now. Take too well till we pure potential. Imagine ourselves. You always were a wild one. You like to I love that. It is really good. And his falsetto parts in that song are so great. So there are a couple of things uh, in the song that caught my eye. He uses the term imaginal cells. Uh, I've never heard that term before. He kind of references what they are in the previous line. He says, we are pure potential. So plainly speaking, imaginal cells are the seeds of pure potential. I found this description online. It's a little long, but it's fascinating. So stay with me. We all grew up knowing a bit about the metamorphosis of a caterpillar into a butterfly. The truly amazing part of this process, however, is in the scientific detail of how it actually happens in nature. After a period of ravenous consumption, a caterpillar finds an appropriate perch and forms a chrysalis. So far, so good. The end result, we know, is a butterfly. But the truly astonishing thing is that there is no structural similarity at all between a caterpillar and a butterfly. Inside the chrysalis, the caterpillar, unable to move, actually dissolves into organic goop. Cells, which had been dormant in the caterpillar and which biologists have the poetic genius to call imaginal cells, begin a process of creating a new form and structure. At first, these imaginal cells, the seeds of future potential, which contain the blueprint of a flying creature, operate independently as single-cell organisms. They are regarded as threats and are attacked by the caterpillar's immune system, but they persist, multiply, and connect with each other. The imaginal cells form clusters and clumps, begin resonating at the same frequency and passing information back and forth until they hit a tipping point. They begin acting not as discrete individual cells, but as a multi-cell organism, and a butterfly is born. Wow. And when you put that in perspective and in terms of a relationship, man, is that good. You fight and fight and fight until you reach a tipping point and come out the other side completely changed. How awesome is that? That's pretty cool. You just throw away line, imaginal cells, seeds of pure potential. It just goes by as a line in a song when then you, you 
realize and break down what exactly he's talking about, you're like, fuck, holy crap. <laughs> it's like talking about a relationship, just like seriously arguing and, and, and fighting for each other over and over again until you finally get to the point where, hey, we're different people now. Yeah. It's just amazing. Um, huh. uh, the other thing in the song is uh, <laughs> he references something called a <laughs> copper manzanita. Uh, manzanita is a shrub mm-hmm. native to the Southwest, the seeds of which need fire to germinate. Okay. Which again is a metaphor for a, for a relationship is spectacular. In order for the relationship to be at its best, it has to go through the fire, through the trials. That's so fucking good. Hmm, it just, that is really good. Just, and, it, and it's just two little lines in there. Two little lines in that song that you go, you know, the song sounds okay. Yeah. And then tearing that up and you're like, holy moly, that's brilliant. Uh, enough, though. Enough. The... <laughs> The, the longest song on the record by Metallica far. length intro on this right? one clocking in at just over six minutes it's the it's the musical it, it really confronts his depression head on yeah. and the war that he's waging the day is short the task is great and I'm idle he's got so much to do he has very little time to do it and he chooses to do nothing <laughs> most likely because he can't yeah it's rough that is that is kind of the ultimate like experience of depression too right is you know you have a ton of stuff to do you know you have things that need to get done. You know you need to try to fix things. But instead, you're like, man, I'm just going to lay in bed today. Yeah. The mind is willing, but the body resists. The war is over, but the pain persists. The flesh is weak and spongy. <laughs> it's raw. This sounds like this right here. I am song is explosive musically. There's a lot going on, and I really think that is indicative of the mind battle, uh, kind of chaotic, which is pretty rare in a Toad song anyway, but it's still an amazing, amazing song. You got something about that? I was just to say, we need to mention real quick, uh, Greg Lights. I believe that's how it's pronounced, Lights. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Greg is a steel guitar player. In the 60s and 70s, he played in a bunch of garage bands in the, in Southern California. In the 80s, he produced albums for uh, Dave Alvin. Uh, in 1989, he began touring with Katie Lang after playing on her Grammy Award-winning Constant Absolute cravings. Torch. Uh, uh, excuse me, Absolute Torch and Twang album, Your Constant Cravings, really oh. threw a wrench in me there. Wow. Oh, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> it was just, it totally stopped me there for a second. He ended up touring with her for 18 years. Wow. So just a little bit. Uh, in 2008, he joined the group Works Progress Administration with Sean Watkins, Sarah Watkins, Benmont Trench, and Luke Buyula, Pete Thomas, Davey Farriger, and Glenn, Glenn Phillips. Phillips. Which I'm sure is how they met. Uh, in 2013, he toured as a member of Eric Clapton's band. In 2015 and 16, he was a member of Jackson Brown's band. Uh, through his career, he's worked with so many famous artists. It is almost ridiculous to try to list this, but I'm going to do it anyways. Aaron Neville Beck, Black Rose, Bon Iver, Bruce Springsteen, Daft Punk, Eagles, Eric Clapton, Glenn Frey, Haim, Jackson Brown, Joe Cocker, John Fogarty, John Mayer, Joni Mitchell, Katie Lang, Robert Plant, Cheryl Crow, The Bangles, The Jayhawks, The Smashing Pumpkins, Tracy Chapman, Vampire Weekend, Alan Toussaint, and Wilco. Just to name a few. That's it? Yeah, just a few. What's he do with the... He's got a lot of spare time. Apparently, this guy just has tons of spare time to sit around and play the steel guitar on his own. Yes. Uh, but uh, Enough, I think, is a great name for this song, as it is enough of an album. Yeah. Uh, and everything else on top of this is just bonus. It's uh, a new constellation by Toad the Wet Sprocket. Yeah. Beginning of the fourth season of the Audio Judo podcast. Right. I love this record. I love that we start off every season with this reminder of our roots. Uh, I think I, I, I like it too. And I know eventually we're going to run out of uh, Toad the Wet Sprocket albums. So I hope just, they release some new ones. Well, we'll just have to uh, start uh, booking more interviews with them. Right. Uh, th- I know that I don't get tired of talking about this band. So it's always fun for me. Uh, if you would like to contact us, tell us what you think. Here are the ways you can do that. You can contest, contact us at facebook.com forward slash audio judo, Twitter at audio judo, Instagram at audio underscore. 
underscore judo. If you want to get a hold of us very quickly, send us an email at info at audiojudo.com. We will not sell your email address. I don't know how to do that. Yeah, we try very hard not to. Uh, quick shout out to our patrons. Uh, shout it out loud tier. Nobody yet. So uh, uh, it's a on. dollar. Yeah. Or a pound or whatever. Or uh, 6,000 rubles. Right. Or 6,000 rubles. exchange rate yeah, kind of sucks true. right now. Uh, we would love the support though. However, our front row seats tier, Aaron P, Darlene W, and Michael A. Thank you so much for your support. Backstage pass tour, Christian S, David W, Michael S, Scott K. Thank you all so much. You do keep the podcast going. You keep the beer uh, flowing. Uh, we appreciate it a lot. Yeah. We have episodes on the way about Dave Matthews Band, mm-hmm. Soundgarden, mm-hmm. Moody Blues, mm-hmm. No Doubt, yep. and many, many more. So please stay with us. Make sure you go check out Throughline. You can find that at our website, audiojudo.com. Um, and until next time, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.